Well, we are posted up outside, not in the U.S. Bank parking lot, but in the Safeway parking lot. <laughs> um, and this is the U.S. Bank to our left. This was the bank robbery that my son and I did together in, I believe it was June 25th, yep. 2011. Yeah. At the time, we'd been living in the Subaru. I'm still working at Boeing. <clears throat> and on occasion, we would scrape up enough money to not only buy some dope, some heroin, but also get a motel room. This is where we left you last week. Andy's Motel in Edmonds, a city about 25 minutes north of Seattle. It's not exactly a four-star kind of place. Various Yelp reviews from that time paint a picture of shrieking toilets, soiled carpets, and bed bug infestations. One review reads simply, horrible, traumatizing, don't ever go there. But Tony and Connor were really out of options, so they did go there. And by this point, in the spring of 2010, their relationship had metastasized into a mess of addiction and desperation and codependence. Two lives so incredibly damaged that they decided, why not? Let's rob a bank. We were completely out of money. We were about to be out of dope. And we had, well, let's just say our the little light that comes on your gas thing, telling you you're gonna run out of gas soon, has been on for quite some time. So we got no gas, no money, no cigarettes, no heroin. And I mean, we're just, fuck, we were just burnt. You know, we were like, we gotta do something. How did you guys get to the decision that you were going to rob a bank and then this bank? Well, uh, it was my dad's decision. Uh, he came up with it. It was his idea, and I thought it was a horrible idea <laughs> because he's old, his back's messed up. I'm thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> How are you going to do that? You know, I'm like, you worked at Boeing for 20 years. Yeah, let's not piss this career off. Let's just not. Despite Connor's skepticism, they started making their elaborate plans on the back of a cereal box. He just ripped a piece off it and started drawing roads on it and he's like look here's this one and here's this one and this is we're gonna do just like this and that's what i'm gonna do i'm going there like this and, and i was like yeah okay except for you're not gonna do anything because you're almost 50 years old and your back's all messed up what happens if you have to hop a fence or something I'm like you can't run this was the only question who was going in which one of them would take the bigger risk tony volunteered first I was going to go in and rob the bank, and he was going to be the my getaway driver. So we had sketched his plan out. We you know, knew which bank, U.S. Bank over in Linwood, and uh, we had bought a toy gun. And remember, we used a, a Sharpie mm -hmm. to color the orange tip on it. You know, the toy guns have the little orange tip. Why that bank? Why did you use that one? This is a bank that we were very familiar with, and it seemed like... You know, we kind of had a nice little getaway plan, and uh, yeah, it didn't it didn't work very well. It wasn't it, exactly Ocean's Eleven. It no. was definitely not. It was Ocean's two fucking dummies, basically. It was a disaster. This is Hooked, an Apple original podcast produced by Campside Media, and I'm Josh Dean. My heart's pounding a million miles an hour, and I feel like he's been in there for three days. Part four, how not to rob a bank. It's a sunny, cool day in July of 2020, and I'm sitting with Tony and Connor in a rented Ford Explorer, 
parked outside a U.S. bank in Linwood, Washington, a suburb about 15 miles north of Seattle. Tony's sitting shotgun and Connor's in the back as the two of them recreate this fateful scene from nine years ago. It's a moment they're kind of joking about now, but this was a serious crime they were about to commit, and they're basically winging it. Remember, this is way before Tony got his own system down. Um, we had the gloves. We had some, I can't remember what we had for a mask contraption. Well, you gave me your Oakley sunglasses, so I had those that I was wearing. I was dressed up like a jogger. Um, I had a white Yeah, but originally I was going to be the one to go into the yeah. bank when we originally planned it. I think up until we actually parked where we're going to go here in a minute, I think that's I was, when... I was already dressed up. Were you already dressed up? I was already up? dressed up. Okay, maybe. I just can't remember then. But so, yeah, at some point the plan changed that instead of me going in, he's going to do it because my back was all messed up and I was, I, I mean, I guess we were both dope sick, but <laughs> it was it was a bad situation. Understatement of the year candidate right there. It's hard to put myself in their shoes here, but I can kind of see the unconventional logic. Tony and his son, Connor, were so desperate for dope that they made a somewhat rational decision to rob a bank. And also a somewhat rational decision that because Tony was older and more feeble, he was more likely to fail. His bad back, the very injury that got him here, was a problem. So the younger, nimbler, less injured person, his teenage son, would instead put on the jogger disguise, grab the fake gun, and do the actual bank robbing. The idea was, you know, I was going to park down the street a bit, and he's just going to walk in there, rob the bank, and then when he walks out, he can kind of just act like he's jogging because he's got jogging shorts on and, you know, thinking that wouldn't draw any suspicion. And actually, to be quite honest, it might have worked had it not been for the dye pack that, that exploded in his pants. Yeah. Jumping ahead in the story. Oh, I'm that's, sorry. That's, that's true. <laughs> We're definitely going to get to the exploding pants very soon. All right. So kind of walk us through. So, Connor, how did you get over here? Did, well, we started from the other side of the bank there into the parking lot. Tony and Connor parked behind a closed Korean restaurant a couple blocks from their target, the U.S. Bank just off Highway 99. Connor's heart was in his throat. Are you panicking? Oh, I'm freaked out. I've never done anything like this in my life, yeah. I just, in, in order for me to even get out of the car, I had to just count to three in my head and open the door and basically go on autopilot. Like, if I, if I get out of this car, it's already done. Basically, I couldn't, anything after that, it's just this. So I counted three and opened the door and that was it. And so I jogged up to the far side of the bank and pulled my mask up and uh, hit the corner towards the front doors there. And as I was walking up towards the front doors, I noticed the lady was walking up towards the front doors. Also, she was texting and when she noticed me with the mask on and whatnot, she just did a quick 180 and went right back to her car, but I was already there, so. I went in and uh, I get in there and I open that door and I can tell the teller's just looking at me like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, and I said, put the money on the counter right now. She says, she, this is what she actually told me. She said, we don't have any money. <laughs> and I mean, I was so mad already in just a bad mood, you know, dope sick and uh, just not in a good place mentally. That's when Connor pulled out the toy pistol, which the teller probably assumed was real. And then I said, okay, I'm not kidding, put the money. Okay, she said, please just don't hurt me. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. And then all I saw was money. So I start grabbing 50s, 20s, 10s. And then I see the stack of hundreds right there. Boom, grab that too, stuffed it in my pocket of my sweatshirt. And I ran to the door. And I'm running and I hear sirens in the distance. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm so screwed. 
Except he wasn't actually screwed. Those sirens must have been for another call, because when Connor ran out of the bank, a platoon of police cars didn't materialize. Still, Connor was fully panicking, and he was about to have another problem. I'm thinking, oh great, and then I'll feel something warm. Like, just something hot. Almost like when you wake up and you pissed yourself in the middle of the night. It was like that. So I looked down thinking I definitely didn't piss myself, right? <laughs> That'd be embarrassing. But no, it's even worse. There's a hole in my sweatshirt pocket where the money was and red smoke and fire just spewing out of my pocket as I'm running. And I notice that uh, as I see that, there's a trail of red smoke showing the path that I just ran from. It's not dissipating. The teller may have been terrified, but she'd done exactly the right thing. She'd snuck a dye pack in amongst the stacks of bills. A dye pack is a pretty incredible bit of anti-robbery tech that tellers can deploy. The idea is that the dye pack will explode to stain a robber and ruin the money. And these packs are typically radio controlled. So when a robber runs out of a bank, a timer activates automatically, and some short time later, the pack explodes, staining a bank robber with a bright color. In this case, a nice fire engine red. So I'm trying to get this money out of my pocket. You're basically and it's, leaving like breadcrumbs. Oh, it's a straight trail showing. I went that way. Yeah. And of course, I see all this unfolding, right? Because I'm parked over there. And I'm equally scared to death as soon as he went out that door. My heart's pounding a million miles an hour. And I feel like it's taken forever. I feel like he's been in there for three days. And then all of a sudden he comes out and there's, he's running down the sidewalk. I mean, you know, like the airplanes that do the little air show and the smoke comes out, but that's what it looked like. But him running down the sidewalk. And red. Big, thick, red cloud of smoke streaming out from behind him. It was like ink. It was like dust. Yeah, it's, Mace. A, it's like a, just a, just a mess. If it's, it just makes a stupid mess over everything. And it burned through my sweatshirt, my t-shirt, my sweats, my shorts, all the way down to my boxers. And so it burned four layers of clothes. Connor was just streaming colored smoke out of his pocket, making him very easy to find and follow. He kept running across the street and into the parking lot where he was supposed to meet his dad behind the Korean place. That's when he spotted the second problem. Halfway through the parking lot is where I'm ripping this money out of my pocket, and I noticed the car is following me. It's a nice white later model at the time car. So I ditched the main fire and smoke, which was hot, and I tried to throw it up on the person who was following me. I yeah. tried to throw it on their car so they would stop following me, but then there was nothing left because it was all burnt. Granted, Connor was sprinting and panicking, but he could tell this late model white car wasn't a cop. And yet, it was clearly tailing him, just cruising along, matching his pace. So he decided to change up the plan. He looked for a way to ditch the car. Nope, this is the fence right here that I hopped. Where? The fence on the left is the yeah. one he hopped. This, yeah, we were. I was parked right in here. Yeah, he but was, see, this wasn't set up like this back in the day. Hedges had grown. Some things just weren't the same anymore, including their memories. Yeah, right here. This is where you park, or something. Oh, this is it. This is right where you park. Right here. Yes. This but is where I parked. He's right. You made me run this far. Are you kidding me? Look how far we are. Did you park way over here? I thought it was like way closer. Well, you were young. You were talking Shit. about. Yeah, that's a couple hundred yards. That's a that's a heavy walk. Run, sprint. Tony and Connor talk about that day in a very loose and lighthearted way now. Maybe because it's easier to cope with this very uncomfortable memory if you think of it as a kind of buddy caper. But it's also been nine years. When I first started talking to Tony in 2017, he was very cagey about this particular robbery. He would never admit on the record to having played a part in it. What changed? The statute of limitations passed. 
he could no longer be charged with this 2011 crime. But back then, Tony was watching his son's escape from his seat in the getaway car, and he was terrified. So yeah, he's running down this sidewalk, right? With red smoke coming off of him, and a car trailing him, and I'm parked right here in this parking lot. Of course, also, I hear sirens. Like, this has taken so long, the cops are actually already coming. And then I see Connor, he, instead of running over to where I was, because he knows this car's pacing him, he decides not to run to my car, which was smart. And he jumps over with this fence over here into the neighbor's backyard. And then he, when he jumped the fence, isn't that where the piece of the glove came off? Remember that glove, it'll come into play shortly. So then I peel out of here. You want to do this, Josh? Yeah, yeah sure. Tell me what, just so I go take a left up here? Yeah, you got to squeal the tires for the full effect. <laughs> so the car that's chasing my son is in front of me, and then he takes a left right here, which is what we'll do. And I took a left right behind him. It was a guy and his wife. The good Samaritans in that white car had been sitting outside the bank when a man dressed like a jogger who was obviously a robber, came racing out of the bank, streaming red smoke in his wake. Well, I peeled in here where it turns at. You see me running out behind this and yellow I house. And I see my son come running out from behind this house. That house was in a tidy little residential neighborhood of tightly clustered one-story homes, just a few blocks from the bank. The backyards were a mini jungle of fences and trees. He came run, running out the left side of that house, and uh, I, whipped a, I whipped a U-turn right here, opened, threw the door open so he could jump in, and then we went back the other way. Jumping the fence and running through the houses had succeeded in ditching the first car. But now, as Tony and Connor pulled back onto the main road, they spotted a new tail. So there was a guy that worked at this Texaco that had seen Connor running out with the red smoke. Thought I was lighting fireworks off, decided to follow me. And now I realize the guy, in the, for the guy from Texaco is following us. Yeah. He's right behind us. The other guy's gone. I don't know where him and his wife went but the guy from Texaco is following us. So we go up here and we take a right onto Highway 99, and by now, there are cops literally flying out of everywhere. But they have no idea what. Yeah, at that point, they don't know. Despite all the chaos, Tony and Connor managed to get out of the area without the cops spotting them. Tony drives while Connor stays out of sight. He's crouched down, he's tuckered down in the, where your feet would go on the front seat. As they made their way onto the freeway, the tail didn't follow. I think he got scared. I'm, I'm pretty sure from when I read the police report, he was like worried that we might have guns or something. And then I told Connor, I'm like, you can get up now. The guy's not following us. Finally, the two of them could relax a bit, breathe. Then Connor got, you know, he got back up in his seat. And I'm like, at some point, I'm like, well, do, how much money did we get? You know, after all this, I'm checking and all he's checking. He doesn't know for sure. He's checking in his shorts and looking, and he's like, "Dude, there ain't nothing. We got nothing, not a dollar." Just before jumping the fence, Connor had tossed the whole wad of smoking money. The total haul of this first robbery then was zero dollars and zero cents. So what did you guys like feel in that moment? I think we were just terrified. It was very scary. Yeah. It was, it was, I mean, I was scared. Yeah, it was, I was scary. I was mad, kind of, that I had just went through all that and don't have anything to show for it. Like, I could have just not gone through any of that and been in the same position. They drove for a bit in silence and shock, 
until they'd gone a safe enough distance to feel okay. Then Tony pulled into a Costco and turned off the car. We sat in the car for a few minutes. You know, we were just kind of shaking off the... I mean, <laughs> it was intense, you know, the adrenaline, yeah. trying to just calm ourselves down. And then I remember we drove across the street to the 76 gas station and started asking people for money. Yep. And some lady was nice enough to give us her old little coin purse. Save the day. <laughs> After a day spent trying to steal money, Tony and Connor had to rely on the kindness of strangers. No 50s or 100s, just a small bag full of coins like $20 and quarters and gave us the whole, she said, here, just take the whole thing. I had, no, I had no idea what we just did, you know, had no idea what the type, the type of moment that we were going through, you know. I'll never forget her. God bless. Attempting to rob a bank and failing miserably would probably have been enough for one day. But this day wasn't over. After all that insanity, Connor had another family obligation to attend to, his sister's dance performance. My dad had dropped me off at my mom's house and I showered up and we went straight from there to the recital. So did you have the red paint on you? No, actually I didn't have none of that on me. I had already got rid of all the clothes and stuff that it was on, but it burned holes straight through the, you know, through the outfit I was wearing. You probably remember Connor's mom, Anne Marie, Tony's ex-wife. She had no idea what was going on. Connor came right to our house. We're going to his sister's recital. I think Tony dropped him off. And then he's late as usual. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. He ran in the house and went into the shower. I'm like, are you kidding me? We gotta go. I was always like, we we're always late. Like, oh, so mad. I'm like, if, if I'm late to your sister's recital, I'm gonna be so mad. Get to the recital and the whole time he's asking, oh, I can I borrow your car? I'm like, oh, hell no. You're not gonna borrow my car. You're gonna sit here. You're gonna watch this. Connor attended, sort of. His body was there anyway. I mean, I remember the feeling like, what the f did I just do, you know, oh my God, I just robbed a bank. For no money? What? Yeah. Like, holy shit, what was I thinking? I was, I mean, I had that thought when I was exiting the doors. You know, hearing sirens in the distance, thinking, oh my fucking God, what did I just do? Finally at intermission, he ended up going out to have a cigarette or whatever, and then he never came back. So, um, Tony picked him up. Yeah, it was a bad day. It was a bad time. I mean, we had a lot of bad days. That was one of the worst. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the one of the ones that sticks out for sure. Anne Marie remembers this being an especially stressful chapter for her. She knew that Connor and Tony were homeless and tried to support them as best she could, but she just didn't know how to get them help. Before I realized that, like Tony had a problem, you know, I would still loan him money and he would pay me back, you know, that kind of a thing. And then it was like, oh, my God. Then they were using together, and I just, like, I didn't even know what to do. Like, I was like, I'll get you some food. I'll put some gas in your car, but I, I cannot give you money anymore. You can't, you know, you need treatment. You need help. She knew it was bad, but she didn't know how bad. And uh, I said, Connor, what's going on? You know what? Let's just, why don't you just come with me? I'll get you some treatment. I know you need help, honey. It's okay. Let's just go. Mom, I can't. And then he started kind of crying. I'm like, what's wrong? What, what is going on? Tell me. Come on. And he just, he, he just, he, you knew he wanted to tell me something, but he didn't. And I just knew in my heart something. I didn't know what it was. I'm like, what's going on? It wasn't long before she found out exactly what was going on. I get a call on my phone and it's Tony's sister. 
She was calling to give Anne-Marie some truly shocking news, that her son and his father had just been arrested under suspicion of bank robbery. I couldn't even process that. I couldn't, it, you're just going, what? Like, what do you, you know, part of me is like, well, they were messed up. But then you're like, wait, what? It's so unbelievable. It's awful. Oh, that was a brutal day. Oh my God. Here's what had happened. For six days after the robbery, Tony and Connor thought they might have actually gotten away with this preposterous stunt. But there had been witnesses. The guy who had tailed them, the one at the Texaco station, had taken down their license plate number. But he made a mistake when he wrote it down. He was off by like one digit. So they weren't able to just run it and come up with the plate, right? And then a week later, we were staying back at Andy's luxurious motel. And uh, it's one of these places that the cops kind of drive through every night, you know, and probably run plates. And there's a lot of shady people staying there. And uh, they saw the Subaru there. And they're like, wait, this matches the description of the car from the bank robbery last week. And then they noticed the plate was almost identical to the one the guy had written down, right? So they staked us out at Andy's motel that whole night. And then when we got up in the morning for me to go to work, because Connor would drive me, you know, drop me off down to work at Boeing. And I look in the rear view mirror and I see the Edmonds police car. But then I notice there's like a couple more behind him. And then all of a sudden they're coming out of everywhere. There must have been 10 or 12 of them. There was, it was, at least. It, it was, was a ridiculous amount. This was a show of force. Tony didn't try to escape. It was pointless. He pulled over and put his hands on the dash. A cop on a PA began barking orders. So they're like, driver, out of the car. Walk back towards my voice. You know, so you're walking backwards, right? Towards the, with guns pointed all around you. Then get on your knees and then they come and tackle you and jump on you for no damn reason but you know they do all that like you see on tv knee in the back you know they want to give you a little extra love and then then they did the same thing to connor and then they put us in separate cars and then they drove us to the linwood police department the jail and they put us in holding cells side by side don't say nothing until you got a lawyer i said i know After the arrest, Tony and Connor were booked into custody at Linwood Jail. Police held Tony there on his suspended license, but promptly sent Connor off to Snohomish County Jail for his alleged role in the robbery. Because here's the reality. They had Connor dead to rights. There was a bank teller and two other eyewitnesses, the people in those two cars who tailed him after the robbery, who could ID him. What's more, he left physical evidence behind, DNA. So the rubber gloves, I wore rubber gloves, and uh, uh, the fingertip off of one of the gloves had ripped when I hopped the fence behind the, the bank there. And so they must have they they had found some DNA, DNA in that, and that was pretty much it. Connor's case was over before it started. And while it seemed clear that Tony had been part of the robbery as well, the police didn't know how to make it stick. Because they didn't have any evidence against me, and I kept denying it. And so what they're doing then is the detectives are going back and forth. They're going over to him, right, trying to get him to say something. And then they're coming over to me trying to say, well, your son told us this. And I'm like, yeah. 
I know that's bullshit. Because I know my son, and he didn't tell you shit, and I'm not telling you shit, and I don't know why we're even here. Tony staked a position of ignorance, which was bold, considering he had been caught driving a car that happened to contain a bank robbery suspect while also holding a suspended license. I told you you shouldn't have been driving, Dad, damn it. Yeah. A horrible idea, dude. Your fucking license is suspended. What were you thinking? Now, now look at us. Now we're all wrapped up in a cage, all because you didn't want to let me drive. I remember that. Tony felt like he was facing two very shitty options. He could either admit to it and go to prison too, or say nothing and let his son take the fall. I mean, basically what it came down to was either both of us are going to prison or Connor's going to prison. But there's no way he was going to get out of it because he was the one that went into the bank. He's the one that pulled a gun on the lady. Um, Even though it was a toy, she doesn't necessarily know that, right? So I think at the time, basically the thought was, well, I'm going to try to preserve my job at Boeing. The job at Boeing, the one good thing in either of their lives that somehow had survived all this mess. That's kind of where we ended up. You know, I'm going to try to keep my job, you know, so that I can help take care of him and help him when he gets out. So that was the plan. Connor would do his time, and Tony would, theoretically, be on the outside working to support him. Because it seemed detectives had no case against Tony. At least, not yet. They had to release me from Linwood Jail because they didn't have enough evidence to hold me on the bank robbery. But a couple months later, my ex-wife, Anne-Marie, who I still love dearly as my friend, uh, she was very persistent in working with the police to get me arrested for this bank robbery because she was convinced that I was involved in it. She never knew for sure? Well, she thought she knew for sure, but they couldn't prosecute me, right? It's not hard to see where Anne-Marie was coming from. Her teenage son had been arrested for a bank robbery that he'd committed with his own father. Now, her kid's in jail while her ex-husband is walking free. Oh, I couldn't stand him. Oh, I couldn't stand him. And when we go to those court hearings, I would start crying because I was so upset. Like, I couldn't even look at him. I couldn't say his name. It was just, it was too painful. It was horrible. Like, somebody that you actually trusted, and I felt so stupid. I, I'm not going to say I hated Tony, but I despised him. We're good friends today. We get along great, but I will say that during that period of time, she did not like me. <laughs> it was bad, you know. She I mean, was I guess understandably. Of course, absolutely. Yeah, I don't blame her at all. But she was she was working with the police and the detectives to try to get me arrested. Anne Marie was furious with Tony. If she could have sent him to jail personally, she would have done it in a second. I was dead set on it. He's going down. He took my son down, and I was pissed. Like this is he's not gonna get away with this. He's not gonna this is not okay. She's thinking if I can get his dad arrested for this bank robbery, then Connor will get off. But that was never on the table. Connor was going to prison no matter what, and Tony was carrying the weight of that guilt. But Anne Marie couldn't see then that Tony admitting his involvement wasn't going to save Connor. So when a family friend came to her and said she'd seen Tony and Connor together in a car near the bank just 15 minutes before the robbery, Anne Marie didn't hesitate. They should tell the police. I think about two months into it, I'm going to all of his court hearings, right? And I'm in one of the hearings, and all of a sudden, the Linwood detectives show up there and drag me out of the hearing and throw me up against the wall and frisk me and cuff me up. So it's back to jail for Tony, round two. 
This time, though, Tony is certain that they don't really have anything solid on him. I mean, yes, I did do it, right? I'm not denying that. I can admit that now that the statute of limitations has expired. Because they didn't have, they booked me on some bullshit. So here's what happens. I get arrested. They book me into Snohomish County Jail where my son's already been for a couple months. And they put me in the same cell block that he's in. They were hoping if they put us in there together that, you know, they would catch us slipping or something. Yeah, and we never we knew we already knew what the game was, and we weren't gonna we weren't playing it. And about a week later, they finally must have just gave up because they weren't getting anything, and they separated us. Basically, it seems that what little evidence the police were holding Tony on was too flimsy to keep him any longer. But the timing and the consequences could not have been worse for him. This whole time, he'd been holding on to his dream job by his fingernails through all of his addiction struggles and the bad decisions that led him to living in a car. But finally, Boeing had just had enough. How'd you get the word that you'd been fired? Uh, my mom, on the phone, told me that she got a letter in the mail, a termination letter. Yeah. They terminated me for job abandonment because I was actually already on an approved leave of absence, trying to get help with for my addiction. And... Uh, but once I got arrested for that bank robbery, they terminated me because my return to work date from my leave was while I was sitting up in Snohomish County Jail. And my bail was like a half a million dollars or something, so there was no way I could get out of there. And then after Boeing fires me, they drop the charges and I get out. What were you expecting at that point? No, I was pissed. <laughs> I was not expecting to get fired. I was on an approved leave of absence. I was trying to get help even though I wasn't making a lot of progress. I mean, the whole purpose of me taking the leave of absence was, you know, recognizing I'm, I'm, I have this addiction, I need to get some, to get some help. But um, no, I was, yeah, I wasn't happy to lose my career, you know? I mean, I fought like hell to try to get it back and it just, yeah, there was no, it just wasn't happening. The ramifications of Tony's actions this long, painful slide, and all of his excuses, they were all piling up now. And the worst part was that his son was about to go to prison. Anne-Marie did all she could. She asked her family members to write letters on Connor's behalf, highlighting his good qualities, his leadership, his intelligence, his sweetness. I want the judge to see that Connor was influenced by Tony and that maybe he'd get a lighter sentence. You know, I was just like so upset and um, yeah, all my family members, I got, like I have a big family and so they all kind of stepped up and uh, wrote in things about Connor. None of it worked. On January 23rd, 2012, Connor Hathaway was sentenced to 32 months in prison for first degree robbery. Anne-Marie was devastated. I just remember when Connor went away, I just, I just couldn't, you know, you think you're a little boy. You just got your little boy. And so I was just like, as a mother, it's like, oh my God, he's, and then he's gonna go through withdrawals. Am I gonna get sick? Is he gonna get beat up? And you know, you just think of all this stuff. Uh, and he just turned 18. He was, uh, just to see him that way is, is horrible. I was like, this has gotta be a movie. This is horrible, I can't even stand this. And Tony, 
Man, he'd been in a bad place before, but there was really nothing left now. He's addicted to heroin and has just finally lost that dream job. Now, his son has been sent to prison for a crime he instigated. When I was with Tony and Connor, the mood had been light. A dad and his son reenacting this funny shared memory. But when I got Tony alone, the memories of it, especially how it shook out, clearly still troubled him. I can't think of a worse position a parent could put themselves in. I feel 100% responsible for it. And uh, I feel terrible. I mean, oh, God damn, if I could have one do-over in life, it would be that. I just, I wish it never would have happened. It all haunts him. The addiction, the codependence, the robbery. The fact that his son, who was only 18, was sent away to prison. All of it. And I know that Connor said that when he when he was doing time, and he's like, okay, I'm in here, and then dad's going to be out there getting help, getting treatment, right? Yeah, little did we know. Yeah, that's what I would have assumed. That maybe seeing his son go to prison for a crime he helped commit would be the shock Tony needed to get clean once and for all. But that's not how addiction works. At that point, man, I really fell off the wagon because now I'm like, oh, Okay, now I've definitely lost my career and just feeling hopeless and addicted. Tony was about to go full throttle in the other direction. That's next week on Hooked. Hooked is an Apple original podcast produced by Campside Media. The executive producers are Mark McAdam and me, Josh Dean. Our producer is Elizabeth Van Brocklin. Our story editor is Michelle Lands. And Sierra Franco is the associate producer. Fact-checking on this episode by Will Peichel. Additional reporting and research by Callie Hitchcock. Field producing on this episode by Bethany Denton and Kyle Norris. Original music by Mark McAdam and Doug Slaywin. Editorial support from Doug Slaywin, Aaliyah Papes, and Allison Haney. The executive producers at Campside Media are Vanessa Gregoriadis, Adam Hoff, Matt Scher, and me, Josh Dean. If you're enjoying Hooked, please rate and review it on the Apple Podcast app. It really does help other people find the show, and we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.